Hello and welcome back to Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I am delighted to be joined again by Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good to be back. Cool. Uh, so just the two games to cover this week, starting with a 2-1 win up at Derby and some Andre Gray brilliance. Uh, and then we'll be looking at the game on Sunday against Stoke, which kicks off at 2.30 and is live on Sky. Uh, to finish off this pod, this week's pod, we'll then be having a look at the club's strategy and structure and how far we've come over the last couple of years. But firstly, before we get into that, Derby County away. What was uh, your your thoughts on this game? How did it go for us? Um, probably a tale of two halves is the best way to describe it. Um, I mean, I watched it back and I did I, I did a piece on it, and it was it was kind of clear that Derby was more the more dominant on the first half, particularly well out of the ball at least, off the ball at least. Um, they pressed us high. I thought. Max Bird was quite influential for them, particularly Man Mark and Dizel. There was a clear, a clear difference between Dizel's first and second half performance, I thought, when he was given time. Um, I thought we did a right first half in terms of attacking the wide areas, but Adoma's um, delivery was quite poor all game. Uh, it changed, changed second half. Yeah, Michael, what do you think? I'm similar to Alex, really, a tale of two halves. Um, that was there in the first half, we really just struggled to control the game. And I think a lot of that had to do with Johansson just didn't really play very well all on Monday. And like Dan said, Dozel was pretty much ineffective in the first half at best. And then in the second half, things seemed to change. I think um, I think getting that goal early helped. I think it was about five minutes after halftime that we scored. Um, yeah, I mean, again, Willock... Unbelievable. I'm sure we'll get on to Chris Willock, but Willock, absolutely unbelievable again today. Really blossoming into a great player today, Monday even. Really blossoming into a really blossoming into a great player. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. It's another one of those games where, you know, it felt like it could have gone either way and uh, it went our way. And we seem to be making a habit of winning those type of games, which can only really be a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, we said in the preview for this game that we weren't expecting Derby to sort of roll over for us. They've clearly got a bit of fight in them. And I think after the game, I was certainly quite impressed, if that's the right word, with the way mm-hmm. they went about themselves in the first half. They clearly, you know, the game plan neutralised us quite a bit. We, you know, at, at the same time, though, we are a second half team. We, we sort of, we click into life in the second half and at some point in the season, it'd be nice to just sort of click in the first half and not have to worry about, you know, really coming from behind. But having said that, do we think Derby were, ad- they went about it admirably for at least the first half? You know, they sort of faded in the second, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um <clears throat> Sure, Dan will talk about their their game plan, but I think you have to give credit. You know, a lot of teams when they've been deducted nine points down tools straight away. So you know, to um to be deducted twenty one points and be fighting as much as they did, pressing, uh, trying to win the game, um, and credit to their fans as well. You know, there's a few empty seats, but it's a Monday night on Sky. But you know, the fans are in good voice. You know, you have, you have to give credit. You know, they they're not going to give up. 
And even though they probably will be relegated, I don't think anybody will say that they've gone down without a fight. So, I mean, it's not something, um, you know, it's kind of, these are professional footballers at the end of the day and they should, even if they're the likes of Jaggy Elker and Curtis Davis coming to the end of their careers, it's like Adoma in his interview last week, he was sort of saying about how, you know, he wants to keep on going, fighting for everything. If they're, you know, they should have some pride in their performances. They shouldn't, we shouldn't really be expecting them just to roll over. It shouldn't be no surprise, but it is, you know, the sort of mental game getting around the fact that you're already handicapped by 21 points being taken off you before you even kick off is something quite big to get around. Uh, Dan, do you have anything to sort of say about the way that they played their game plan? Um, I mean, I was quite impressed with their flexibility, particularly in the uh, with their limited resources. I thought, particularly in the second half, when they dropped off into more of a four-five-one shape, they kind of cover the spaces um, in the midfield, particularly with Dizel. He was able to spray passes down to the uh, to the wide areas quite easily. Um, but no, I thought they put up a good fight, and I think I don't think Rooney was too impressed with them. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the first goal. Um, you know, the way I saw it in the stadium, we, we lose the ball, and I thought that Dicky was already quite high up. But having looked at it on the highlights, he tries to uh, press yeah, Lawrence. I don't know if that's the right word, but he certainly goes goes it tries to win the ball back from Lawrence quite early on in the move, and he manages to spin Dicky quite easily. I mean. It kind of all stems from Barbe losing the ball and trying to do a. I think it was Barbe, wasn't it? I don't. I don't remember who lost. Oh, yeah, it might have been Barbe. Yeah, I think it was Barbe. But Dick, but Dicky, um, he tried to step up to Lawrence yeah. and he didn't really get tight enough. And then there was a gap between Dicky and Dunn and they were able to spin him, spin him behind. And then it was a good pass from Graham Shinney, to be fair. I mean, it's um, a good work goal from Derby. The finish is really good, but from our point of view. Should uh, Dicky just sort of stay where he is, let him come on to him? Because if he does, then he's got to get past himself and done, you know, rather than charging in and creating the space. I just, you know, like it felt a bit sloppy, you know. We we gifted it to them. Would you would you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah. To be honest, yeah, we've given the ball away. I mean, I think in in defence of Rob Dicky, I think with what happened because it did all happen so fast. I think oftentimes there's a bit of a uh, bit of a panic in those moments just from playing football. I know sometimes there is a bit of a panic, and then sometimes you know when somebody's made a mistake, you do have that tendency to overcompensate. Sometimes so that might have been the case with Dicky, um, but it's 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 a sloppy goal to concede. Very sloppy goal to concede. Yeah. Um, but I already mentioned that we think it's Barber that gave the ball away. I know that he gives you moments of nervousness in stands as a fan. I certainly agree with you on that sense. Um, you know, he. I, I felt that last couple of games, he's been a bit sloppy. Would you sort of agree? Would you know, He needs to kind of just up his game a little bit because he, he gets a lot of praise from a lot of people. But I just feel like in the last couple of weeks, he's been showing what he used to be like a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, he's... He struggled a little bit. I thought um, against Luton, I thought he was very good. To be fair, and to be fair, I thought against I, I thought against Huddersfield, he had a good game as well. But um, Blackpool, obviously, notoriously made that mistake for the penalty. Uh, Cardiff, he was all right, but you know, I think Cardiff didn't really offer us too much. And I think against Forest, 
he was particularly bad as well. He's he's kind of going through a bit of a, a weird sort of weird sort of inconsistent stage at the moment after playing so well for so long. Um, and I think what's particularly worrying for me, I think his biggest strength is his ability to play out from the back. And um, in those games that I mentioned, he's given the ball away quite a lot, quite a lot. And, um, you know, I, I have said before that he does make me nervous and he does yeah. have a mistake in him. But, you know, I don't want him to make mistakes. I don't want him to give the ball away. Um, so, you know, it's concerning. But the, the, the other side of the coin is we don't have the depth, really. Everybody's injured. We don't have the depth to take him out of the team. So he's really got to sort it out himself. So, you know, here's a bit of a hypothetical question for you. There's a lot of suggestion, and I think it is true, that at the end of this season, his contract is up. And, you know, at this point last year, there was endless articles about, for example, Asai Samuel's contract and stuff like that, and whether he would be getting a renewed one. And the fact that we were, you know, constantly going back and forth between him and the club about negotiating a new deal. There's a bit of silence this time round on whether Barbe's actually getting a new deal or if they're just like negotiating it. Is there trouble with it? I don't know. If his contract is up at the end of the season, as we are thinking it is, would you be disappointed if he left on a free? Because personally right now, having seen what we've recruited in the form of Jimmy Dunn and Jordy Device, I know Device is injury prone, but... You know, it, it makes it gives me more confidence that there are better centre backs out there. And I wouldn't mind. And I'll say I want him to leave, but if he did leave, I don't think it would be the biggest problem in the world. Yeah, I see what you're saying. <clears throat> Definitely see what you're saying a little bit. I would agree that I personally think that you know, I personally think his level is a good championship defender I think there's definitely better defenders out there what I would say is there is something to be said for a bit of longevity there's something to be said about guys that know the club he is probably at the moment one of our longest serving players um, on top of that we have four centre-backs at the club really I mean Masterson will be back next season but Warburton you know he's never really I've never really been convinced that Warburton is a fan of Masterson um at least not in the previous seasons anyway. So I would be a little bit disappointed if he left just because I don't really see where like the depth is, you know? And I mean, if, if we were in the, if we were in the Premier League, I'd understand, like I'd understand not replacing him because maybe the club feel like he, that's never going to be his level. But um, I, th- I think it would be smart to try and keep him on terms that suit us, in my opinion. Okay, um, so let's move on to uh, Chair. Uh, he had two pretty good chances, but unfortunately for him, they're both headers. Um, you know, eventually we score from the second one. But Dan, do you think he's got to score with one of these? Yeah, I think, is it the the, the second one's the one before Gray's goal, um, if I'm right. And then the yeah, other so the one's the one where he comes over the post. And the other yeah. one... He's not unmarked, I'd say, but he's you know, he beat the fastest man. I'd say he should probably score the first one. Um, yeah, he probably should score the first one. I, I I don't know the second one off the top of my head very clearly, so it'd be hard to criticise him too hard on that one. But the first one, I think he should score. Um, it's frustrating for him because I wouldn't say he's dropped off in performances, but he hasn't really got the goals that he did a few, few three, four games ago. 
So he probably wants to get back on the the score sheet. But I thought he had an all right performance in general, to be fair. Um, generally an open play, at least, anyway. Yeah, I think the first one, there's certainly more of the goal available. Keller Roos, you know, certainly gave him a lot to aim at. Um, the second one, I think he's done pretty well to get it onto the post. Um, and, you know, that's, he's, it's, a, it's fractional because like any just a little bit to the right and he's he's scored there, it's bouncing in off the post. So I, I, for the second one, I wouldn't be so critical. The first one, I think he's just got to get that on target and he scores. But then again, you know, we're criticising perhaps the smallest player in the squad for not being able to head at the ball. I don't know whether that's uh, entirely fair or not. If it was Austin or Dykes, I think we'd both we'd all be uh, head in hand and screaming that he's got to score. Um, second half, we've already mentioned it, we were much better. But were we dominant in the second half? Because from my position uh, in the away end, I don't know whether it's just the, you know, the position, the fact that I was quite low down in the stand, maybe I'm a bit overcritical, or maybe it's just the fact that I had a few beers before the game and I can't quite remember how it went. What's were we actually dominant in the second half? Because I sort of like seen people suggesting we were, and I kind of disagree with that. I don't think we were utterly dominant, but I thought we played okay. Um, well, from my point of view, anyway, um, I think our dominance kind of falls because of Derby's drop off, if that makes sense. Um, I thought Derby dropped off a little bit, that, that little bit deeper second half. They didn't press as high. And we know the difference between a side that will press us and a side that doesn't press us in terms of our ability on the ball. Um, but um, it certainly wasn't like complete dominance. And it certainly didn't help that, um, certainly helped rather that Derby didn't press us as hard as the first half. Yeah. Um, regardless of that, though, you know, Charlie does make a good run and an excellent cross. And, Mike, you've already mentioned him, but that's a fantastic finish from Willock, isn't it? And like you said, he's just going from strength to strength at the moment. Yeah, he's been excellent. He's been excellent. And um, credit to him as well, obviously. Um, it's quite documented about his uncle. And obviously, we wish him and his, his family all the best. But um, it's interesting. I, I have seen some people on Twitter. It might be a bit premature. But I have seen some people on Twitter suggesting that he might be better than his... Uh, than his younger brother at Newcastle. Um, I'm not going to engage in that, but um, I think he really is more so than um, more so than Chair is. I think I said this last week. He is the essay replacement, isn't he? He is. He's 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 the guy that sort of can pull something out of nothing. You know, Ch- Chair's Chair's got the movement and the goal scoring, but Willock is just picks the ball up out of anywhere and scores. And I, and I was saying in our in our group chat today that it's a it's almost a shame that Andre Gray scored that goal because now everybody's going to forget about that really great uh, really great goal he scored at Blackpool at the start of the month. Um, but yeah, what 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 can you say about him? He's just brilliant. He's a brilliant player, an excellent excellent recruitment from the club. Yeah, and um, you know the Charlie's run is cross much better from him as well um, when he does. I guess go out into those wide areas. He was it was quite an effective move from him, um, but it was a better performance from Austin all round. I'd say. Do you think like he's? It was impressive for me that he's managed to lead the line. You know, with such little support from Dykes and Gray being out injured, the fact that he's still playing, you know, week in week out, he might fall off a little bit in performance for the next couple of weeks. But that's only because for the last three. He's been putting in the effort without much support behind him. So, like, you know, it's impressive from his point of view, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that was one of one of his best performances without scoring, to be honest with you. Um, I know he should have had one in the first half, I believe, just before half time. But um, you know, he was working hard off the ball, he was pressing. Uh the three of them, Woolock, Chair, and uh Austin kind of uh creating a front three to press. What was very effective, especially in the second half. Um yeah, really impressive him, really impressive him. Great assist, great cross. Um, he looks as though he's kind of got his mojo back a little bit, which is great to see because uh, on form, Charlie Austin is one of the best strikers in this league. Yeah, um, and you know, having said that about Charlie and his you know non-stop performances, um, we said the similar things about Lee Wallace last week, and unfortunately, he went off injured. So. Mm. I think there's a bit of a question to be asked about, like, was it too much too soon for Wallace playing this game as well? Um, or, you know, like, or is it just a case of we've already got so many injuries that he can't afford to not play him? I don't know. It's it's, it's difficult because I, I kind of felt that um, Warbs uses his subs a bit too late. And for someone who's so, we assume, so obsessed with, um, you know, sports science, He's leaving the subs until like the 75th minute and stuff like that. And, you know, Wallace is getting injured again. I don't know how serious it's going to be. He seems to suggest that it's not that bad. I certainly hope not so, because otherwise, you know, we're back to square one of not having our best 11 out each week. So do you think that Wallace was playing too much? And could we see something like just a, a niggle from Charlie in a couple of weeks? If he's out, you know, that's a lot of pressure on Gray and Dykes who are coming back from injuries. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, some of Warburton's comments in relation to that um, sort of saying, I don't know if you said, I don't know if you saw, sorry, in the week, he'd said that um, with with Afghan coming up and sharing DNG being gone, he's saying that he expects the club to dip into the market. And uh, after the game on Monday, he said, oh, you know, he, he said a couple of times, oh, we're still a bit thin, like the squad's still a bit thin. Um, which I thought was interesting because in because like you said, he oftentimes does leave his subs till late and he's kind of given Lee Wallace. I imagine Lee Wallace would have played 90 on Monday had he not gone off injured and Odebajo came in and played left wing back and done a good job. So it's not it's not as though like we don't have anybody that could have played there. I understand that Wallace is probably our best left wing back uh, when he's fully fit. But I, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's, it's interesting because, again, Wilburton has said loads of times that he prefers to work with a small squad. And like you said, he's very much a sports science guy. The club's very much into their sports science. And, um, yeah, it, it, just, it just seems it seems a bit weird, some of the decisions around it. It'd be interesting for somebody to actually ask him about that. I'm not sure anybody will, but it's, it's odd. It's odd, and hopefully the Wallace injury isn't too serious because we won't have McCallum until the new year at best. And as I said, Wallace is our best left wing back. So, yeah, very odd. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, like the first sub, obviously, came, Wallace came off at 53 minutes and then he, the next sub was on 76, and that's Gray coming on for Austin. And then the third one's 90 plus three minutes, Willick for field. Now, obviously, mm. that's like in reaction to the goal and stuff like that. So, 
I mean, maybe if he takes off Willock, does you know we we don't score? I don't know. Like, but it, surely he needs to be using the squad a little bit better. Um, you know, there's other players out there in the squad that aren't really getting much of a look in at the moment. Um, it just needs to rotate a little bit. We've seen it in the League Cup. We played very strong sides, and we we're all very happy about that at the time. But we don't want them. We don't want our players burning out. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what game it was exactly, but we made subs in like the last ten minutes. You've got people like Lee Wallace like going on for ninety minutes. It's, I know we want to win games, but at a certain point, that's going to come back to bite us. And hopefully, it's not coming back to bite us when we play Stoke uh, next week. Um, Regardless of that, I thought Moses, when he did come on, was very impressive. I, I quite liked him. He was solid defensively and just got his job done. So, you know, obviously he's been brought in to be a number one in that position. But, you know, he's is he looking better off the bench at the moment? I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I quite like him in the left wing back position purely because when he was on the right-hand side specifically, he'd always come inside. And I think that works well on the left for him, particularly with a domer out on the right who likes to hug the touchline and hold the whip. So I think it helps the balance and supports the midfield a little bit also in possession. Um, but no, like you said, he was he looked tenacious when he came, when he was trying to win every tackle, every header. Um, and it was just a good, good performance off the bench room. Yep, and you've mentioned him there, uh, Albert Adoma, friend of the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> He was uh, very impressive again, uh, you know, in the second goal, he, you know, like these things that he was talking about being more of a, more of a defender now. Um, and, you know, he wins the ball back, does a very, you know, wins it back smartly with a little bit of a shoulder barge, turns and off we go on the counter attack. He's, you know, he's, he's performing that, that specific part of the role. He's doing really well. I think, you know, he's admitted himself he needs to improve on the crossing and the whole squad needs to improve in the crossing. So that's not something that he should worry about and like put on himself. But I thought he, again, like in the build-up to that goal was fantastic. And then you go down the other end and Andre Gray does that. I mean, Michael, I'll let you talk, him, talk us through it. What a fantastic moment that was. Crazy, crazy, crazy moment. Uh you wouldn't have thought so from the Sky commentary, but crazy moment. Um, yeah, great ball from Willock on his weaker foot. Excellent cross. As we spoke about before, Chair maybe should do better with the header. Um, and then it just looks like it's dead. It just looks like, you know, Andre Gray is just keeping the ball alive just for the sake of keeping the ball in the box. You're thinking, what is he going to do? <clears throat> One touch. <clears throat> Another to set himself on his knee. And then the swivel, Berbatov style. Unbelievable. Unbelievable goal. Keeper don't even move. The keeper's rooted to the ground. He knows he's not getting there. And I mean, <clears throat> you know, that's that's what he's been brought into the club to do, really. Not, not necessarily that every week, because nobody does that every week. But like, you know, he's, he has always been the type of striker where if you need a goal, he's going to score you a goal. He's done it at Brentford, done it at Burnley. You know, he's had a few kind of off years coming in and out of the Premier League and in and out of the Watford team and whatnot. But that's what he's come in to do, really. You know, he's he is a certified championship goal scorer. He scores goals at the champ scores goals at championship level. And you know, that moment there, I don't want to do the whole cliche like, oh, it's the type of game that wins promotions. But 
you know, it's what it is. Like a moment like that changes the season. A moment like that kickstarts the season. And obviously that to take us into third with quite a tough run of fixtures in December. Good momentum to have. It's good momentum to have. And it finally looks as though we are going to have, obviously it depends how Dykes comes back, but it finally looks as though we're going to have all three of our strikers in form at the same time. Yeah, I mean, like it, that goal made genuine waves over Twitter as well. I know that's not like the, you know, you don't win trophies by that, but like it was very impressive seeing some quite big, well-renowned accounts tweeting that goal. And seeing mm-hmm. it and like, and it, you know, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I, every time I saw it, I stopped to watch it because it just put a smile on my face. It's fantastic. Um, and yeah, that coupled with the fact that we've gone up to third and we've got 13 points from this month our best month so far. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? And it really does, it feels like, even though we're only in November, it feels like this club has suddenly got another boost because it, was, it wasn't it was sort of going stale, but we were just plodding along. Now we've played really well and we deserve to be where we are. We're in, we're in touching distance, in a sense, with the top two, whereas a couple of games ago, it felt like they were running away from it. So, mm. you know, the, the, the attitude, the feeling has changed and suddenly everything that feels a lot better. And I can't wait for Stoke to put us in our place. Um, <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, we're going to win. We're going to win. No, but it's, you know, it's this that sort of feeling, you know, like it's, it's building, it's getting to a point where hopefully we're going to do something. Okay, so let's move on to our next game live on Sky, Sunday, 2.30 kickoff, because, you know, you could just pick a, pick a time out of the air apart from three o'clock on a Saturday. Stoke at home. Wallace is a bit of a doubt. Dykes is still doubtful. What are we expecting from QPI and the way of team? What what first eleven is going to be put out? Do you reckon? Um, I think there's no reason to keep it similar. I think we've kept it similar the last three games, am right? Three or four games. Um, I wouldn't risk. Dyke, so I don't expect him to be risks in terms of being in the starting eleven. He might make the bench, who knows? But um, no, I don't think Warburton has any reason to to really change the personnel. Bar Wallace, obviously, that could be a doubt. Um, I think everyone else has played well the last the last three or four games. So I'm thinking we Moses probably at left wing back instead of Wallace. I think if Wallace is def- if, if he's got a bit of a niggle, there's no point forcing him in for this game it could just like cause long-term problems give him a rest 90 minutes in nearly every game he's played he deserves it um <clears throat> interestingly Warburton blames fatigue for the Dykes injury um Dan I know we I mean you privately have had a bit of a conversation as who's to blame for this but apparently he picked it it was aggravated a little bit more in training for Scotland so you know the thing is if he went if he didn't go away with Scotland he would have been training with QPR so he would have I rest my case. He would have been injured anyway, so I rest my case. Like he didn't do. No one did anything wrong. Both teams want their best striker fit, and they wanted him playing. So, you know, it's unfortunate that Dykes keeps on getting ruled out of these games. But apparently, he's getting injections, which is you know, as much as they say it's only doubtful and stuff like that. But when they're starting to give you injections to get through a game, it's not necessarily. It never strikes me as a good thing. That strikes me as a, like a quick fix you know, to try and get it fit, him a bit fitter. So, you know, we'll see what we can expect from that. But looking at Stoke, um, you know, last season we took four points off them, beat them 
away, Austin and uh, who was the other goal scorer? I mean, I know. Like, Kakai, Kakai. Yeah, Aussie with the other goal. Um, so what, what can we expect from Stoke? Um, they, they play quite a similar style, to be fair, possession-wise at least. I mean, Michael O'Neill has been manager there for the most part of three years, I believe, um, or just under. Um, so he's kind of built his built his style quite well there. Um, obviously, recently they brought in the likes of Romain Sawyers and Marco Vrancic, two very good playmakers at this this level. Um, so obviously they'll want to keep uh, keep the ball quite well. Um, they're known quite well for the defensive season. Obviously, Harry Suter, a big part of their defense, has got injured unfortunately for them. But they've got the likes of Ben Wilmot, um, Leo Leo Ostergaard, known from. Is unknown from unknown from Brighton, um, so obviously they're quite aerially dominant, and then they've got a, a handful of strikers up top, the likes of Jacob Brown, Tyrese Campbell, and Stephen Fletcher. Yeah, so the last couple of games of them, they had a pretty good start to the month, beating Blackpool, Luton, and Peterborough, and then it's tailed off in the last couple of games with a one nil loss away to Bristol City, and then a one nil loss at home to Blackburn. So. What is there any particular reason do we think that behind their sort of drop off in form a little bit have they been missing out a strike any key players to injury? Um, I mean, I can't really comment too much because I haven't really followed them that heavily this season. Um, I know Joe Allen suspended for the game on Sunday, and I think he has been for the last two two games, so that could be a factor behind it. Um, Sam Surridge has been sent off in recent games, he's quite a good striker. But I don't know the the root cause of the uh, the issue. Micah, what are you expecting from Stoke? Again, I don't really I don't really follow Stoke too too much. Um, I do know, however, you know theirs is a story, not just style of play similar to ours, but a story similar to ours, and that they you know have picked a manager stuck with him. I believe it's two years this month, uh, two years last month. Sorry, that he got the job. Um, <clears throat> So perhaps there is some lessons for other championship clubs, you know, in a division that sacks managers so often that maybe if you give a manager a chance to implement a style of play, a bit of stability can take you a long way. Um, <clears throat> in terms of what to expect, you know, Stoke obviously under Pulis built a bit of a reputation for being a sort of long ball, aggressive, uh, you know, type of team you don't want to play. Brexit uh, football, right? Brexit football, basically. I didn't want to say it, but you said it. So Brexit football. Um, <clears throat> and, and obviously they've moved away from that now. So um, to be quite honest with you, I, I'm not really sure what to expect from them. I'm not really entirely sure what to expect from them. I do expect a good game, however. It's a bit of a, bit of a cop-out of an answer, but there we go. Um, well, I had a look at their highlights and they... Um... The goal that they conceded against Blackburn, they kind of got, they won the ball ball back and then lost it very quickly afterwards after getting pressed in their own half. Um, and it was a really, really good finish. But the one that really stood out for me, and this is sort of going back to the Pulis days, is Bristol City. They created a lot of pretty decent chances and never actually put the ball in the back of the net and then went up the other end and conceded to a long throw, which is, you know... Stoke is Ironic. into a long throw. That's like, I don't, I can't, I can't compare. What, what is that like? That just must feel so strange for Stoke City fans. Like that is what they were known for, wasn't it? 
worried the lap, long throws. And they it was a really poor defending flick on at the front and then mopped up around the back for Bristol City. So, you know, that was really poor from their point of view. But they are doing pretty well, you know, overall. Seventh after 20 games with nine wins, four draws, seven losses and 31 points in total. And I think that's only four points behind us. So it's still very tight. And, you know, a win for them on Sunday could move them right up the table if results go their way. Um, you know, who Dan, who do you think their biggest threat is going to be? Um, I'm going to say Tyrese Campbell. I don't know if he's going to start or not, but he's just come back from injury. I think he scored one goal against uh, the think it was three games ago off the bench. He's just, he's, he's pretty rapid, um, likes to get in behind the defence, something that is our Achilles heel specifically was against Derby on, on Monday um, with Tom Lawrence. Um, but other than that, if he doesn't play, probably either Jacob Brown, perhaps, or, uh, or one of the midfielders, Sawyers of Rancic. Um, good, good creative. Well, Sawyers is, um, I believe, was named as Warburton's ideal transfer when he signed for QPR. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... He'll be looking to steal him post-match, I'm sure. Um, Micah, you know, in a way of... Well, it looks like they're going to sort of come play a similar style to us. I think they play wing-backs as well, so matching us up formation as well. What can we do to overcome Stoke and get the three points in the end? Um, <clears throat> again, I'm probably not the best person to answer this question because I, I don't know a lot about Stoke, but um, <clears throat> focus on what we I've, could do better than like what you know in comparison to recent games. I know we've played well, but like you know, if someone if if we're um, going to be playing against a possession based team, what have we got to do? I think um, you know, but barring Derby on Monday night, um, I think recently we've done really really well in controlling the game for long periods. Um, I think <clears throat> I think that does coincide with those all being in the team, just to be honest with you, because you do have two guys that do like to control the tempo of the game in the middle of the pitch. And <clears throat> obviously Johansson on Monday wasn't particularly great, but against Huddersfield was probably one of his best performances for us. Um, <clears throat> so I think if we can control the game for long periods and start to take more of our chances, um, I think we should win. I think when we do have control of the ball, we are better than the vast majority of the teams in this league. So I would say that's probably what we need to do to beat them. I mean, from a Stoke point of view, I think they'll they must be hoping for like you know not the not a performance like Huddersfield because Huddersfield are you know similar in the sense that they is growing more towards you know possession based football with uh, Mini Bielsa in charge, um, and. You know, they just dropped off in the second half, didn't really threaten us at all. So it's a case of if they let us dictate the play, then we're just going to eventually score, I assume. Like, you know, because we do score a goal a game. We've seen the stats. We might draw the game, but, you know, you can't sit off us and let us just dictate the play. You've got to, they've got to come on to us. Um, so, Dan, what what do you think? What What can we do to get the three points? Um, well, like you touched on about the, the the systems being quite similar, I think one of the important things to that is you've got to win your individual duels, um, specifically in the wing-back areas. That's probably something that's going to be of main uh, focus uh, one-on-one all the time. Um, 
I think the midfield could be quite interesting. Obviously, they normally play a flat three, and we obviously play a two, two in the midfield and two ahead. So maybe if we look to drop a bit deeper and play between the lines with Cher and Willock, uh, we could get that advantage in midfield. And as we know, on several occasions, if you win the midfield battle more often than not, you do win the game. Yeah, uh, good stuff. So I think that's all to cover of Stoke. And I don't have anything else to talk about unless you guys have anything. No? Okay, so let's move on to the uh, final topic for this week's pod. And this one was suggested by Micah. So I'll let him start off. Um, just explain like what briefly sort of a little sort of synopsis, I guess, for the what we're talking about here, the club structure and strategy for the last couple of years. Yeah, so... Um sort of stems from a conversation that I was having with uh, my dad, my older brother, who doesn't actually support QPR, but he does follow QPR. We were just essentially talking about, um, you know, it's around seven years ago now, around seven years ago this month, maybe, or last month, that um, Les Fernand was brought to the club as as head of football operations, which um, obviously eventually evolved into the director of football role. Um, Uh, around that same time, obviously, Chris Ramsey came to the club uh, as I can't even remember what his job title was back then, but obviously now he's head of um, academy, <clears throat> head of at academy. At the time, he was probably, um, is this, was he in the, was he the coach, head tra- coach at the time, perhaps? I don't think he was, was he, was he, I'm not sure if he was coaching, was he? Because he got, he got the promotion to head, or maybe, like, he, he took over from Redknapp, didn't he? In the second yeah. half of the Premier League. But he was already at the club. He was already at the club because obviously he's promoted from within. I can't remember what his exact role was. Um, I I do remember at the time um, Redknapp making a bit of a fuss about it because he said he needs a head of football operations, uh, which was quite ironic because we did, because he was the manager. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I was just thinking, obviously, in seven years, obviously... uh, Les was kind of given this uh, this kind of uh, remit of sort of changing the direction of the club, changing the policy. And, you know, um, Monday night was a big win, which obviously Andre Gray scored the winner, but it was a win that involved guys that have come through our 23s and guys that have, guys that come through our 23s like Chair, um, <clears throat> and then guys that have uh, come through our new sort of transfer policy, you know, Willock, Dickey, uh, Dozel. So it was just, it was, we were just kind of talking and we were thinking like, you know, there were definitely a lot of bumps along the road, but <clears throat> it's interesting to see now the, the vision that was set out seven years ago looks as though it's finally coming to fruition. And I, I don't know what you guys think about that, but <clears throat> I just think that's very encouraging as a football club to actually have a plan. Yeah, I think the crucial thing is like where we go from here the feeling that I kind of get from where we've been over the last couple of years is that we finally got it right, whether but that's by accident or by intention. We've got a manager that sort of knows his remit, knows what he's doing, <clears throat> working at a sort of a low budget. And the real test is going to be if we ever get promoted within the next five years, do Fernandez and all that, can they sort of, restrict themselves control themselves not to go back to the way they were before well this is this is interesting as well because I think obviously Les and Chris were at the club but I do remember I remember when Holloway left 
he said something on the uh, Open All Hours podcast along the lines of like, oh, Les Ferdinand needs more control at the club. And he was kind of suggesting that his control was limited and it was more kind of about he was doing what Tony Fernandez wanted him to do. And uh, as we know, Amit Battier came back as vice chairman in 2019. <clears throat> the first appointment he had to make was Mark Wolverton. Um, and I, can, I think you can say he's done it well. I think he said he made a good choice. Um, so I, 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 it's hard to say, but I think there was an idea with Les and Chris and the direction wasn't quite there. And I think with the Steve McLaren appointment, I remember it was it was banded around a lot of the time. Oh, he's a good coach. Like he's a good coach of players. He improves players. Talk about his time at Derby with obviously Will Hughes and all the guys that ended up having a good <clears throat> good career coming up Derby. And uh, obviously that didn't quite work out because you know he sent Ryan Manning on loan. Didn't want to give Osse Samuel any game time. He was very good with Eze, and Eze has a lot of good things to say about him. But it's about it. And I think, I think I don't want to give them too much credit, but I do think that the plan was in place. It was just about putting the right manager there because in the past five years, at the club, Eze, Manning, Osei, Samuel, Lumley, Chair, <clears throat> were all at the club. Kakai as well. Six players, all of them playing at championship level or higher. I don't know the last time that we had that at the club where guys that sort of, made their first appearances or their first big break at our club have gone on to better things or have gone on to play at the level that we're at. <clears throat> and I, I just think it shows that, um, that it wasn't in vain. All the years of playing young players, not spending money, uh, watching Holloway chop and change the team after a good win, wasn't in vain. Mm. And I don't know, it's, it's just very encouraging very encouraging to look back on where we've come from and say actually we are probably in the best place we've been off the pitch certainly in my lifetime so. the McLaren one's really interesting because it never felt like and you know Holloway was doing an okay job it was like 16th place wasn't it and it was sort of building and it was getting kind of he kind of did a bit of like a soul shot didn't he got the, the feeling back in the club a little bit you know there was a bit of optimism with the players that we were playing, you know, he got the vibe going again. And then to just dump him for McLaren. And it was clear that that, to me, it felt like that was just, that was Fernandez getting involved again. And like, he had someone in his ear, another agent sort of saying, Steve McLaren would be really good for you. And then, it, you know, there was that the game against Fulham. McLaren turns up as Sky Pundit and knows about all our players inside out and you sort of think what's what, what's going on here you know Holloway was always going to be on the way out by the looks of it but we made the wrong appointment and you know I talk about now that the the getting a manager that knows his remit Warburton was never gonna if he was I don't know Warburton's never going to go after these sort of big name players or he's not going to be allowed to whatever he's done a much better job whereas straight away McLaren like you said bombing out players on loan that we knew were good enough not giving players at the club enough game time. You know, it just really frustrating stuff that cost us in the long term, cost us a couple of years, cost us good weight, good uh, transfers on Osai Samuel, on Manning. Because, Manning, yeah. you know, if they had played that season, 
we shown a bit of love because we've brought them in. You know, we we didn't treat them well enough for them to want to stay at QPR. So, you know, that was a such a it was a lost season. And you know, after that seven one loss to West Brom, he should have been sacked there and then because it just saved everyone a lot of time. Mm. Uh, and a lot of effort but you know he carried on and we've eventually found ourselves in the right place um but that's what i mean like it's by hook or by crook by accident that we found ourselves here mm. um and it's like sort of how much control does warburton have because you know he's brought in his boys he's brought in like you know wallace kelly a couple of seasons ago um you know you could argue that amos is very much a warburton player you know um, he's someone that he clearly likes, but it, there seems to be a much better strategy. Uh, Dan, what what do you sort of think about like you know Les Ferdinand's performance? Because it wasn't that long ago, probably about a year or two ago, that he was being questioned quite heavily in his role. Sort of people saying, "What's he doing? You know, he hasn't actually performed well enough because we're not in the Premier League yet, basically." But you know, it's um, always it's this case of a progress, and you know, it's a long term plan, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, no, it is. No, um, and obviously he's he's involved in some of the recruitment as well. Like I, I was watching, sorry, not watching. I was reading the. Um, there's a piece. If you haven't read it, I'd go and check it out. It's an interview of Clive Lofferwords with the uh, head of recruitment, Andy Belk, um, and it's quite interesting, really, on like the roles of Les himself and Warburton in terms of, in terms of particularly the signings. Their their model is that. They share. They share. No, no, not one signing is is like one particular. Not one signing is a Warburton signing or a Les Ferdinand signing. The model is that they all have to agree on one player. Obviously, it's no good buying a player that doesn't work for for Mark Warburton, for example. But um, they've got to come to an agreement. I think that's quite. I think Les Ferdinand has quite a good um, good role in, in terms of the transfers as well. He's a, he's a footballing head as well. Don't forget, he's got a good footballing mind. So yeah, it's quite important. I think one of the things as well, just to carry on from that, one of the things as well that I think is very important is the fact that Les Ferdinand, I'm not sure how much he's done now because of COVID, but Les Ferdinand oftentimes is on the training pitch and oftentimes he is there. And often I think at other clubs, there are situations where um, where managers go to their director of football, their technical director and say, we need this, this and this. And then the guy might say, no, nah, we don't, we need this instead. Whereas I imagine it's a situation at QPR where Les is seeing them most days of the week as well. So if Warburton says, oh, we need a wing back, all Les has to do is think about what happened in training in the morning and say, ah, I can see why he thinks that. I can see the way we want to play. I can see what type of wing back he needs. I think that hands-on approach makes such a difference. It makes such a difference. And listen, you know, at the start, he did get a few things wrong. There were quite a few duds that came into the club. He said it himself. He said it isn't going to work straight away. We, As a club, we were mismanaged for the best part of 20 years, really, stretching right back to the 90s when we were relegated from the Premier League. So t- this idea that 20 years of mismanagement, it's going to take one year and we'll be back. It'll be fixed. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We train at a college campus. We've just thankfully moved into a new training ground which is going to make a difference. Our stadium, it's like 30 years too old. There's no other stadiums like Loftus Road. And we all love Loftus Road. I love Loftus Road. And I hope when we do move, we have a stadium where it is close to the pitch. But I think we can all accept that's a very dated football stadium. 
very dated football stadium. Didn't have barely had an academy. Uh, before Darnell Furlong, I think it was Richard Langley that had come through the academy and made the first team. Um, so these things don't get fixed overnight. And they definitely don't get fixed when you've got a wage bill that's bigger than Borussia Dortmund's and you're in the championship. So, you know, all these things methodically cutting the wage bill down first, then staying afloat in the championship. That's one underrated thing that I think happens that we stayed in the championship. So a lot of these teams that get relegated and have parachute payments actually end up going there. Look at Sunderland. Wolves went down. You know, it it it, it doesn't always work that just because you've come down, you'll be all right. Um, you certainly so you come from a danger of being like in the position that we are now. But imagine this: swap it for League One. So like we'd be we'd have been really happy at being third in League One after X amount of time because you know we would have gone down, wasted too much time. Like you said, that yeah. is so underrated. The fact that we just managed to stick in there. Sixteenth was annoying. And you always want something a bit more exciting, but, you know, you take the medicine to get to the point now. Yeah, I mean, to, to stay in the league where you have to cut your wage bill every summer, it's not easy. It's not easy. In fact, it's very, very difficult. And yeah. we're, we're going to see more of that. You know, Sheffield United might end up, I don't know what's going to happen with Sheffield United, but Sheffield United might end up having that problem. And I think, you know, we've taken it in stages. We've stayed in the league. We've now been able to blood in these young players and now we're in a position where we can kick on and we can sell players on for more money that we've bought them. And, you know, I think this summer will be kind of the confirmation. I think we finally got to a point where as a club, we can be confident that if we lose a player, that we either have the replacement waiting in the wings or we can go and find one. And that as a job is probably the best thing between Lee Hoos, Chris Ramsey, Les Ferdinand, Alec Batier and Mark Warburton. It's the best thing that anybody has done for my football club in my lifetime, I think, probably. Yeah, absolutely. So if we were, and this is obviously a massive if, if we were to get promoted within like the next five years, do you now trust the club to keep it, you know, basically not sign Christopher Samba, Lloyd Rennie? Absolutely. Uh, who's that other one? Stefan Mbiwa. You know, these sort of players, Lose 5-0, Julio Cesar. Yeah, yeah, I do, to be quite honest with you. I hope, I have trust in Amit Batier. I think just from his first spell at the club, I can tell Amit Batier is a very patient, assured man that believes in his principles. And I think he shares that value with Mark Warburton, with Lee Hughes and with Chris Ramsey. And for that reason, I think if we were to go up, I think it would, even if we went down, I would back us to be come back up, maybe have a couple of years at Norwich City. I just, back, I just back the club. I just believe that there's guys that, through experience, understand the game, understand how football works now and believe in their process. So to answer your question, yeah, I do. Dan, what about you? Do you trust the club a lot more now? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I think the recruitment shifted a little bit as well. I mean, I'm going to refer back to the interview, but we're, we're, as a club, we're becoming a bit more analytical into the numbers, into the data. I mean, the signing of, like, for example, Lyndon Dykes, an undervalued striker at Livingston, say, everyone focuses on the top two in Scotland, you know, your Rangers and your Celtic. And I think at that point, he was overperforming his, his XG at a, a decent rate uh, for a long period of time. And we took that gamble and look how it's paid off. I mean, like, I, know, I know it pains me to say it, but the likes of Brentford, for example, recruiting with data and analytics... It is working nowadays in the modern game. And I know people 
sneer at it or they don't like all the XG and all that kind of stuff. But it, it does work in football. Not every, especially for our recruitment, it's quite a small department. Our, our department can't cover, go and cover 15, 15 games in a week, say, or something like that. We can't. We don't have the capacity to do that. So we've got to use other ways of being smarter at recruiting players. Yeah. So um, I think what we're basically saying is that, you know, we're happy that we've taken the medicine. We've done the hard yards and hopefully from here on out, we're just going to see the positives. Positives, Champions League within three years, yeah? Like, that's what I mean. That's what it's going to be. No, it's just, I, I think it's much more sensibly run and it's it's refreshing. We still do things that are a little bit QPR at times. You know, we can't, you know, Leopard doesn't change its spots. And ultimately, they still have a bit of a culture there where you kind of have things that are just weird, like, you know, that Lux value of the floodlights. It's sort of a weird thing to put out there, but not the end of the world, but it's still very QPR. And I'm glad to see that little old sort of QPR is still there a little bit in our sort of rusty old stadium that's fallen apart and is too small in areas and gives you deep vein thrombosis in your legs when you sit down. Um, but I think that is the end of this week's podcast. Thank you, Micah, Dan, for coming on again. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Make sure you like, subscribe, whatever it is. That, yeah, subscribe on Spotify uh, and Apple Podcasts, or you can listen to us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at Our Generation Net. Uh, we are all on Twitter as well, if you want to follow us as well and keep up to date with the latest things from the podcast. Dan does his little articles about analytics analytics and stuff like that so you know if you want some more sort of like football pervy stuff then football pervert stuff that's dan's your man for that uh and uh michael what do you tweet about like uh absolutely nothing to be honest with you um so if you enjoy absolutely nothing i'm the guy to follow so (laughs) fantastic stuff uh thanks for coming on guys and until next time